This weekly broadcast is an in-depth study of Leviticus and is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can email us at indepthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. Let's uh, turn to Leviticus chapter 2 again today. still looking at the meal offering. Uh, I want to finish it up today, hopefully. Jim, it's a little odd. Now, the three main ingredients, or the ingredients of the meal offering would be the fine flour, the oil, and the frankincense. And we didn't look at the oil and the frankincense yet, but if you'll remember from last week, we looked at the flour uh, as being one, in, one of the ingredients, or fine flour. It, was, it could be presented, it could be, the meal offering could be presented in three different ways. The first was uncooked. And to, to get the fine flour, you had to have a crushing, a grinding, and a sifting of the wheat. Without those occurring, you could not have the fine flour that was needed for this particular offering. So that was the first way that they could present this meal offering, the uncooked. The second way was in uh, verse 4, unleavened cakes. Now let's look at that. We'll read that. And if thou bring an oblation or an offering of the meat or meal, uh, offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled, mingled with oil or unleavened uh, wafers anointed with oil. So in various translations and looking at this, it's, it, to me it, it seems as though they could make this into a thicker, um, I don't want to use the word wafer because when we think of wafer it's thin, a thicker piece or a thin piece which would be uh, like a wafer. Now in order to have this particular type of the offering, the unleavened cakes, what had to occur was they had to take the fine flour and they had to mix it with oil. Now I should question you but we don't have time. I have to keep on going and I have a lot of scriptures I'm going to read from my notes. But put them in there to save time. When you, you make any type of bread, one of the things that you women do, you mix the dry ingredients with the wet ingredients. And in this case, it's the fine flour mixed with the oil. Then what do you do? Do you just set it together and just leave it there? No, you take it and you begin to mix it. You knead it. When you knead bread, Certain things occur. In any type of wheat, there are two proteins. When they're mixed together, they form gluten. Gluten is an adhesive, and it's a, um, it, it gives the bread, or the, whatever they're making here with the flour, its elasticity. So here you have the thought here of kneading bread. Now, we all know how to knead bread, right? You guys all know that, too. You take it, and you start pushing it. You work it. You move it around. 
you're mixing the ingredients and you are causing the gluten to form which is giving it its elasticity and this is a type of what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ where his life and we'll look at this in a little bit when we come to the oil was mixed with the oil and he becomes under the pressure of the father working him needing him pulling him the elasticity there is formed because of the pressure, because of the kneading, because of the mixing. And then it can be taken and formed into, as it says in the King James Cakes. I remember when I was down in Guatemala, uh, in certain places you travel, in, in the markets and on the road, uh, you'll see people on the side of the road and they'll build a small fire. And a lot of them have, have this piece of metal it's maybe two foot in diameter and maybe a quarter inch thick and they put that on the fire and you'll see them they'll have this bread and they'll uh, the dough and they'll start to, to work the dough and work it and work it and work it till it's real nice and thin and then they put it on this this metal griddle if you will and that's how they would make the tortillas the corn tortillas and the flour tortillas well this is similar uh, what we're seeing here with this particular part of the meal offering with the unleavened cakes in verse 4. Now, Jesus was the bread of life. He was pressed, he was stretched, and he was mixed by the Father so that he could reach out and do what needed to be done as the bread of life. Now, if you are to become bread for others, you will have to go through a certain process of kneading, of stretching, of mixing, and forming. And there's no way around it that I see in the Scripture. I mean, sometimes it would be nice to skirt around some of these things, but uh, it's very, very clear what went into making certain things, especially here for the offering, this type of offering. Now, the baking of the cakes could be done in three different ways. First of all, and forget about the kneading, but it would be baked in the oven, verse 4. Um, and if thou bring an oblation, an offering of the meal offering baked in the oven, when they took the, this bread and they put it in an oven. Remember, an oven is a dark place. They put it in there, and you cannot see it. Jesus had a life that He was becoming an offering, the offering of the Father, and He was in this place where no one could see, being baked, baked in the oven. And there will be times when you and I as Christians will be in certain situations in our life and we will be in the oven, so to speak, where no one will be able to see and understand what you personally are going through. I don't care if you tell a person all about what you're going through. 
If you're in the oven, it's a place that nobody can see. And there you are. Nobody understands but Him. And I don't care who you are as a Christian. There will be times you will be in this place and no one will see. They won't see the hand of God. They won't see the, the, the circumstances pressing upon you. They won't understand what's going on. And they're not going to. Because you are involved in the meal offering and you are in the oven, you are in a dark place, and you're going to come out the, the correct way for this particular offering unto God. And in Matthew, um, we'll look at that in, in a little bit. So, so the first one we're seeing here, the first way they could do this was baked in the oven. The second one we'll look at in Matthew. Turn to Matthew 27. The second way they could could uh, bake this, was in a flat pan or a griddle. Verse 5. And of the oblation or the offering be of meat offered or grain offering baked in a pan. Now, my marginal reading says a flat pan. It was probably like I was telling you before of this, this open uh, griddle that they used I saw in Guatemala. We have griddles, we have one at home, has a very short side, and, and that's basically for catching any oil. Uh, regardless of your picture of that, you know, be it completely fat, flat, or with a little side, turn to Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put, him, put on him a scarlet robe. Now, the, the correlation I'm drawing to this particular portion of Scripture is that when the bread is on the griddle, it's open, it's seen, the whole thing is open to view. Not like the oven where it's closed and nobody sees. This one here is open. And when they had uh, plated a, a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took a reed and smote him uh, on the head, and uh, so on and so forth. Here's Jesus on the griddle, Opened, seen by everyone, being mocked, spit upon, hit, you know, having a crown of thorns put on him and so forth. On the griddle as an offering. Job is the one that came to mind when I was studying this. Job's life, when we go back and read that, he was on the griddle and everyone saw what was going on, so to speak, if you know what I'm saying. They saw the surface thing. And so you had um, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, I think, were the three friends of Job. And you see them throughout the whole book. You, you know, this is happening to you because of this. This is happening to you, Job, because of that. Meanwhile, they're missing the whole point of what's going on, that God is in control and, and God is going to receive an offering from Job's life. It's going to be the life of Job. 
opened to everyone, seen by everyone. You know, what's going on there is seen by all. And, and there are times when, when we're Christians and we're going through something and people see. I mean, they may not say anything, but they see. And it can be such a, uh, a test in your life, uh, a, a needing, a baking, that you feel that you're a spectacle to everyone. You don't even want to come to church because, oh, everybody can see what's going on. They know what's going on in your life. That may, may not be the case, but sometimes we feel like that. The point was that Joe's life was open in the griddle being seen. The offering. The third way this could be done would be verse 7, the frying pan. And if thy sacrifice be a meat uh, offering baked in the frying pan. Now, the frying pan here, as I looked at this, it's not the thin-sided or the, 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 the shallow pan that we fry in. It's actually a saucepan. Um, let me see. A saucepan or a stew pan, which would mean it wouldn't be thin, a thin-sided uh, container like, like the griddle, but it wouldn't be completely covered. It would be a little higher. So, so what is going on there is certain things are in view and certain things are not in view. And I was thinking of, of Joseph where... You know, he's, he's sold into slavery and goes down to uh, Egypt and, and Potiphar buys him and Potiphar puts him in prison, I believe it was. And he, it says um, that he found grace in the eyes of Potiphar. See, there was something there that Potiphar saw in the life of Joseph, but he couldn't quite make it out. See, Joseph was in the process of becoming an offering that's going to be offered to the Lord, as you see at the end of the book of Exodus, where, or that Genesis, whatever, where his life is an offering unto God. Well, he was in the sauce pot of circumstances, in the prison, forgot in prison, and so on and so forth. Now, that was the second form of the offering. The first was uncooked flour, could be presented that way. The second was unleavened cakes. The third way is verse 14, green ears of grain. Now, the King James says corn, but every translation and the actual meaning in the Hebrew is grain or some type of grain, you know, oats, whatever it would be, I don't know. Um, verse 14. And if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of grain dried by the fire. Now, this here would be the grain would just about uh, come to to the um, point where it was ripe, almost, and they would take it and actually put it on some type of pan and dry it out and they would actually eat that. It wasn't, 
wasn't eaten in place of bread, but it was actually eaten with the bread. It's just it probably a different texture, a different taste. But anyway, um, it says here at the very end of this verse, verse 14, that it was dried by fire. A type of the Lord's life where he, through the fire of suffering, redeems man. And it also says here that it was of the first fruits. And we know that Jesus, it says, was the first fruits of the resurrection. So this all points to Christ. All points to him. Now, uh, the green ears of corn had to be... Did I put that up here? Yes, I did. Beaten. Now, where did I find that? It's in verse 14. Okay. Yes, the very, very last part. It beaten out of the full ear. So what they would do is they would take the grain... And the reason why I believe it says the ears is because it's talking about the top, the head. A lot of translations say the head. They would take it, they would probably take some type of wooden rod or something, and they would beat that until it would come apart, and then they would take that grain and, and, and dry it uh, and bake it. And I have three scriptures I'll read. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him Esteem him stricken and smitten of God. See, there's the beating of the grain. See, all this applies to the Lord. Matthew 27:30. And they spit upon him and took a reed and smote him, beating out the grain. So the Father was making an offering, or you could say that Jesus was in the process of becoming this offering to the Father. Uh, Acts 5.40 And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they let them go. So you see this with the apostles also, and you see it with Paul where they beat him. All dealing, I believe, as a type of the grain offering from Leviticus here. Now, the definition of the word beat is, is to hit repeatedly or to inflict pain. Now, how many here have ever actually been beaten because you, you're a Christian? I don't think anybody has. Because we live in a, a country that we don't have that type of persecution. But do you realize that people can inflict pain with their words? People can inflict pain with their attitudes. People can inflict emotional pain. And, and God, He wants a grain offering. And so if there is not this physical beating, it doesn't mean that, oh well, then these people are totally disqualified. That means that God will, will have another means or method to bring about the same identical thing. So if you're not physically beaten you may for your faith or because you're a Christian receive a verbal beating from people. Um, or something in, you know, emotional that they would lay upon you as a Christian that would affect you in your emotions. So there's different ways that God works. 
some people have attitudes toward Christians. Well, what are you going to do? Get mad at them? If they say something to you because you're a believer, you're going to get mad at them and yell back? Well, if you do, then the offering, this grain offering, will not be developed and offered because, you know, the result would be different because of, of our actions. And then the last part is it's dried over the fire. And the dried here means to toast partially or slowly. So this is a process of being put on the fire or however you want to say it, going through the fire is another way of, of saying it. But in this context, they would take this and put that on the, the skillet and then the wheat would just dry. And there you have another means of the grain offering. Okay, now let's go to the oil, the second ingredient. Now, let's read verse 6. Could somebody read verse 6 for me, please? And verse 15. Yes, we're in chapter 2. Okay, now I want to draw your attention to this word upon. Now, there's several things here, and it may, when you first read it, it doesn't seem like there's much of a difference, but I believe that, that there is uh, in, in the way it's portrayed throughout this chapter. Now, if you read chapter 2 and you just observe the word oil in this chapter, you're going to see something. But upon here, whenever they would pour the oil upon, what happens is the oil will flow, see, and it will move, and it will go into an area where it is descending. Pour oil in on the flower, it's going to just go to the lowest spot. And what I want to show you here in this this oil upon is that there needs to be a mingling between the oil and the fine flour. Now let's turn, we'll look at one scripture to Matthew 3.16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Upon him. See, the oil here was upon Jesus. The Spirit of God was upon him. Uh, Jesus was baptized in the Spirit, and you had this contact between the oil and the fine flour. Without that contact, you could never have the mixture and you could not have the offering uh, brought to completeness in this particular setting here with the grain offering. In Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, etc., etc. You see the same thing. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. 
So there must be contact between the, the flour and the oil for the offering to be complete. Now, remember this, that it says that this offering is a voluntary will offering, which means that if the, the flour is not, as we saw last week, crushed and ground and sifted, and if there isn't a kneading of the flour, you can never come to the point where the oil is placed upon that. Do you understand? See, that, that's the process that, that goes uh, to bring it to fine flour. Then the oil comes on there. See, but you don't get the oil back before you have the crushing and the sifting and all that and the kneading. See, it, it, comes, it comes afterward. Now you have the ingredients there, there, and now it can be mixed. Then the oil is put upon there, and the thing can take, start to take form. Mark 1.8, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit will descend upon your heart, and then there is to be this mixing of the Spirit, the oil of the Spirit, and the flour that he is making you. And then you have other things that come out from that. Okay, let's go to verse 5, chapter 2. So you have an, another phrase put in here in verse 5 where it says, mingled with oil, mingled with oil. Now, Jesus, his life was, was mingled with oil, and when you see this occur... Right away, Jesus goes out now, and he confounds, uh, he's tempted by Satan. He confounds the religious leader and the wise men of his age because of the mingling with this oil. Now, mingling means what? To mix, basically. And I believe it's talking about the inner life being mixed with the spirit or with the oil, producing an anointed life. See, there's, there's a difference between anointing and an anointed life. See, an anointed life will come from this process we're talking about where the oil now is mingled with the fine flour and now something's coming forth that can be used by God in a much greater way than before. In, uh, in John... 519, let's turn there. <clears throat> With Jesus, his, in his inner man, there was such a mingling of the oil that there was no independent movement at all from Jesus' life. None. John 5. Nineteen. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So there was such a blending between the Spirit of Jesus, or, or his, his, his inner man, and the oil, that there was no independent movement at all. That's how complete that was. He says... I only do what the Father 
is doing, or what I see the Father do, and nothing else. Why is that, Jesus? Because you made that decision? Yes, but because of the mingling of the oil, it, it, it just brings out something that is not there otherwise. In Romans, Paul says this, in Romans 7.22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. See, there was a, a mixing there. An intermingling of the Spirit of God in the life of Paul. Mixing it with the fine flour. Now, in, I'm not going to turn there. Now, maybe I should. Let's go to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, verse 2. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down, down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. So you had this oil poured upon his head that went down through his beard and down upon uh, the shoulders and, and so forth of his garment. Now, the context of this verse is very, very important to see. And that is verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity together. It is like this oil. So, so the context of this anointing oil here with Aaron was unity. And, and that's what's seen in the meal offering where you have the unity of the oil and the fine flour coming together, bringing about this unity like we're seeing with the life of the Lord. Now, here's, here's a thought for you. In Matthew 25, the five foolish virgins, it says in verse 3, went out and they took no oil with them. But the five wise took oil with them. So one group had this mixing, had this unity of purpose, um, was in the work, so to speak, was being, they were being made into a, so to speak, grain offering, they took oil with them. There was the mingling of the oil, see, in their lives. And they go out, and they meet the Lord, and they go in with Him. But the five that did not take the oil never actually went in, we know that, uh, with the Lord. So the mingling of the oil here is important. Now, here's another word, verse 4 and verse 7. Now, this may seem like spit, splitting peas, but I don't know. I, I just think there's, there's more to this than even I'm seeing in, in this chapter. Next, you see verse 7. 
and if thy sacrifice be a grain offering baked in the frying pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. With oil. So the oil here, we're seeing with oil, I believe it's, it's referring to or can refer to the ministry of Christ where he goes out and he teaches and he preaches and he heals and eventually he offers himself as a sacrifice on Calvary uh, to the Father. And by the way, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, this grain offering was offered with the burnt offering and was offered with some of the other. I think the peace offering, I'm not sure, but I think also. It wasn't just given, uh, it wasn't just done by itself. It was usually done in accompaniment with another offering. In Acts 10.38, let's, um, let's turn to Acts here a minute. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. See, see with oil. And you see this throughout the Gospels. And, and, you know, Jesus was, was baptized. You know, uh, he was anointed with. Uh, you, you see the mingling of, of the oil. All this goes on in his life. With the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil... For God was with him. Luke 4.14 And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. See, the Spirit was with him. Uh, Psalms 45.7 Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with oil. The oil of gladness above thy fellows. So the, the oil here, the anointing with oil, was thoroughly mingled in the spirit of the Lord, in Jesus, <clears throat> because, as it says in this verse, that he loved righteousness and he hated evil. The fourth here is seen in verse... 1 and verse 6. Verse 6. Thou, sh thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering or a grain offering. So here you see the spirit or the oil being poured on. Now, when you have oil being poured there's always a direction the oil takes. And if you would take a, a, a griddle and you would pour oil on it, usually it you know, runs to one direction or the other. And what I, what I believe that can symbolize is the leading of the Spirit. There's always a flow. Maybe that's a better way to say it. A flow of the oil or the flow of the Spirit or the leading of the Spirit. Uh, in Matthew 4, turn to Matthew 4.1.
Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So here you see the oil flowing. The, 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 the oil was poured or it was flowing toward the wilderness and Jesus was led in that direction by the Spirit where you have the, the oil being poured, the flow. In Romans 8.14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the Son of God. So there is a pouring for your life. The Spirit is poured in a direction. And then you go in that direction. And that's another means what we're seeing here. The oil was poured. For Jesus, the oil had, has a direction, uh, has a flow for Him, and has a flow for you as a believer. And you, you need to get in there and, and move along with that. So the pouring, the mingling, uh, the anointing uh, with oil, the pouring upon, all that is made possible by what we saw before, the crushing, the grinding, the sifting, and the kneading. See, you can't have any of the other. You can't have the mingling of the oil with the fine flour before you have the fine flour, as I said a little bit ago. So there is a process here, and remember that God is involved in that process. We go through things. We all do. We all have our struggles. We all have our difficult times. We all have things we have to deal with personally. But remember, and I'm talking to myself too, that these things are not just isolated. See, there's a bigger plan involved, and God very well may be making something of you in the situation that you have found yourself in, or you find yourself in, or you will find yourself in. And one of the things about this grain offering is that they could bring as much as they want as often as they wanted. So you can be sifted as much as you want and as often as you want. You want to be beaten and crushed to be fine flour? That can be done as much as you want or as often as you want. Now most of us will say, huh? <laughs> uh, I don't want at all. <laughs> but see, God's gracious and He will come. And see, He knows our hearts and He knows our flesh. He knows the flesh doesn't want to go through anything. None of our flesh wants to go through any type of suffering, any type of problems. That's the way we are. Okay? But He knows that in our heart we desire Him. And if in our heart we desire Him, He will bring about certain things and bring about an offering there, and we won't even be aware of what he's doing. We'll see the circumstance. We'll see maybe God working in it. We'll either you know, struggle in it, resist it, and then maybe surrender to it eventually. But the important thing is that God is making something there that may not be actually perceived by us while it's being done. But remember, you know, you know, we can offer God certain things. Uh, we can say, Lord, 
grind me up. Uh, or we can say, Lord, sift me. Uh, and that's a prayer I believe God will answer if we're brave enough to, to pray it. But if we're not, that's okay. Just be willing and just fasten your seatbelt and say, okay, Lord, let's go. Or, okay, Lord, whatever. I'm, I'm feeling, you know, really little in this. And I don't think I can take it, but let me put the seatbelt on. Or, you know, the Spirit of God's going to do the little click and say, okay, there you are now. Put you on the griddle. It's going to make something really tasty here. So that's, that's the oil. Are there any questions to this point before we go to the next? I know a question you have. We're going to get to it. Then you have the frankincense. Oh, it's the last one. Now, the frankincense was an, an accompaniment to the offering. The two principal ingredients were the fine flour and the oil. They were mixed together. Then a portion of that was taken by the priest, and whenever he'd go, go over to the altar, he would offer that and then the frankincense. <laughs> <laughs> the frankincense on the altar and it was burned now some interesting thing let's oh, I don't know if we need to read this well we'll read it anyway verses 1 and 2 in Leviticus and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord his offering shall be a fine flour and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon and, and he shall <clears throat> excuse me Bring it to Aaron's son, the priest, and he shall take thereof his handful of flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the more of it upon the altar, to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now, the frankincense here, first of all, was a secret formula. It was taken, I believe, from a particular tree, and then other ingredients that were secret were added to it, probably from some plants or something. And you can see in Exodus 30, 34, that the, it was, even though it was, it was incense, it was also offered with incense. So there were some characteristics that were different than the incense. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. And of course, you know that frankincense was used in, in the anointing oil, right? Okay. This is the interesting part of the frankincense. It exudes its fragrance when it is crushed, beaten, burnt, or under pressure. <laughs> I was reading that and said, oh, brother. <laughs> See, that's the sweet part, of, another one of the sweet parts of the offering, the sweet smelling savor was the offering itself, but it also was the frankincense. So in order for it to, to have that smell, it had to be burnt or crushed or beaten or placed under pressure. So the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was, was under the fire. Uh, it, it, was, it was under pressure 
And, and, and he uh, uh, dealt with the suffering and the persecution all his life until he was offered. That, that sweet smell of, of the frankincense. Uh, an interesting verse. Let's, um, let's turn just for a minute to Song of Solomon. Because I, I thought of this verse when I was studying this right away. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 6. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? Now this can be, this can be uh, this verse applied to the beloved or the betrothed, but I believe that in the context here it's probably speaking of the beloved. So you see this frankincense there upon him. Okay, in his life, the Lord Jesus Christ was the smell of frankincense. And we know that I just said how that smell came about. But later on in chapter 8, in Song of Solomon, verse 5, you see this, and the phrase is very similar to the one we just read. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? So you see that she has partake, she's been a partaker of the process that the Lord Jesus Christ went through, and, and the sweet smell of frankincense that was upon him now is upon her because she is leaning upon him. That, that, that permeates her also, her being. And I thought that was, was quite something, that the bride of Christ will go through certain processes, and, and that is the way it is. And if the processes are not gone through, you will not have those people, whoever they may be, qualify in that relationship, I believe. Okay, now, go back to Leviticus. We're going to finish up with just two thoughts. In verse 4, you have unleavened cakes. In verse 11... Uh, you have no leaven. Leaven in Scripture uh, represents the principle of evil. Okay? This indicates that there was no fermentation or no souring at all in the life of Jesus. None, none whatsoever. See, the more pressure the Lord was under, and I, I tell you what, I was thinking about this, and I thought, boy, oh boy. <laughs> what usually happens to us when we're put under a lot of pressure? Has anybody ever been under pressure? What usually happens with us? Yeah, or you yell. You yell at someone, you, you know, you take it out on someone, you know, you get mad. You know, that's the way we are. The more pressure the Lord was under, the sweeter he got. See, there was no leaven mixed in his life. And, and there was no sour, sourness at all, just the sweetness. And so in, in this offering, 
And in the burnt offering, there was no leaven allowed. The next offering is interesting because they did allow leaven, and we're going to look at that next week. And I thought, why does it say all over the place, no leaven, and then the peace offering, it says leaven. So we'll, we'll look at that next week. Verse 11 also mentions here, let's read it, No grain offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven, for ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey. Honey was also a, a fer fermenter, and they would use that to make vinegar. When honey would be... Now, this is not a, a thing where honey is evil throughout the Scripture. It isn't. But they were not allowed to use it in the offering for various reasons. But one of them was it did something similar to leaven. It was, it was a corrupter, and it, it relates to the corrupt nature of, of man, uh, the honey. Uh, it was a symbol of that which is sweet and that which is attractive, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that we see in, in 1 John, this, the sweet things to our, to our lower nature. So, so honey is a representative of that. So there was no honey, no, nothing to uh, ferment or corrupt the, the fine flour, nothing to corrupt what God wanted offered to him. See, that stuff had to be put aside. Anything that corrupts. The meal offering could not be given with anything that is corruptible. That all has to be placed aside for that to be an offering unto God and be a sweet savor unto Him. And then the third thing about honey <clears throat> was that the heathen that lived around Israel at the time would use honey in their um, you know, heathenistic religion, their practices. So that may be another reason that they weren't allowed to put honey in, into it. Okay, any questions? Now I have a handout here. It's a very basic uh, overview of what we studied dealing with the meal offering. If anybody wants a copy, you can come up and I'll give it to you. Thank you.